0: Here's today's quote. Quote, One key characteristic of a great military leader is an ability to draw from the tremendous depths of fortitude within his own well. And in doing so, he is fortifying his own men by permitting them to draw from his well. Many writers have recorded this process as being at work in the combat situations they observed. Lord Moran noted that, quote, A few men had the stuff of leadership in them. They were like rafts to which all the rest of humanity clung for support and hope. End quote victory and success in battle also replenish individual and collective wells. End quote. Now that quote is from Dave Grossman. Dave Grossman was born August 23rd, 1956. He is an author, retired Army lieutenant colonel, and the founder of the Killology Research Group. In 1995, Grossman published his groundbreaking book on killing, The Psychological Cost of Learning to Kill in War and Society. Now, I read this book very early in my career as a Marine Corps officer before I had even commissioned, that is. And I won't spend a lot of time on the book, but some context is needed here to better understand the quote for today. Now, in the book, Grossman describes what it takes to kill a human being. And as you might expect, this is an abnormal act. There may be those among us that pretend to be macho and brave and violent, but this is not a normal act for people to participate in. We resist it, rightfully so, for many reasons that Grossman describes. And therefore, in order to kill, whether it be in military service or law enforcement, which are the two areas that Grossman is speaking to primarily here, in order to learn to kill, to violate this tenet of existence, we must be trained or inoculated to the idea of it we must be trained to do it and inoculated somewhat to the consequences of it and this of course comes at a cost obviously and we can get into the philosophical debate here of is it worth losing your humanity in order to take the life of another are there justifiable times where killing another human being is the right thing to do etc etc but that's not the point of this quote the point of this is to discuss the larger meaning and The cost that I referenced can be seen in the relatively proportionally higher incidence of post-traumatic stress disorder, seen in both military and law enforcement officers primarily. Other people that see death on the regular, whether they be first responders, firefighters, paramedics, ER doctors, nurses, etc. Same thing. And it's part of the reason dealing with the, the mental fallout from something as traumatic as killing another person or seeing another person that is killed or feeling responsible for the death of another person weighs on us so heavily. In fact, if you look at um, capital punishment as an example, it's part of the reason why when you had a firing squad, it wasn't a single person who was responsible for doing the killing. In even a justifiable sense, a socially justifiable and state-supported, state-sanctioned execution, like by firing squad, it still didn't come down to one person. Because even at the times where those were more common than they are today, it was recognized that the fallout from that to put that disproportionately on one person's shoulders was too much. So you had a group of executioners. Any one single bullet can be sufficient to kill a person, but by diffusing it amongst a group... Everybody bears slightly less of the emotional burden for it. And then, to take it a step further, in a lot of firing squads, say there are five executioners in a firing squad, uh, one of those five would often be given a blank round, or a round that didn't actually fire a projectile at the condemned. And this was not known, it was told to the individual shooters, but not identified which shooter had the or which executioner had the blank round. The idea being that it gave people the mental outlet of, well, maybe I didn't do the actual killing. Maybe I had the blank round, and therefore didn't do the damage. And the reason for this, again, is to diffuse the effect of having taken another person's life. You can see this also in some lethal injections, the more modern execution method that that most states employ at this point is lethal injection. Um, in some states that is done via not one person injecting whatever uh, chemical compound it is that, that brings an end to another person's life, but multiple people pushing down on plungers that all theoretically are delivering uh, the, the, the chemicals that, that end that person's life. Now, of course, not all are. Only one is. But it gives, again, the, the ability to diffuse the responsibility because we recognize as a society that killing another person is not a natural act. It requires a cost to be born by the person taking that life. And that's a lot of what Grossman talks about throughout this whole book, is why we resist it, how to overcome it. And of course, you can see how somebody who was training to be a military leader would need to know this, at least be exposed to it. I don't know that necessarily you want to become, you know, immune to it, but you want to at least be familiar with it because, again, as this quote talks about, this is about the leadership aspect of this, the person ordering the people to do the killing, the... People who are there to pick up the pieces after the traumatic events occur. That's who this is geared towards. So how do we do that? Well, one of the ways that we can be trained to endure this most psychologically taxing duty is by deepening for ourselves what some refer to as a well of fortitude. And that's what Grossman is referencing here when he talks about a well and accessing the depths of that well. Now this well is of course figurative in representation and it's a representation of something that we've talked about before, but is extremely hard to quantify, and that's resilience. If you go back and listen to the episode uh, for Eric Craytons, um, we talked about his book Resilience, and we talked about what the definition of resilience is, and I compared it to material properties, right? The ability for something to be ductile, the, the ability for something to deform and reform to its original state after the stress is removed. And so, as I said, remember, our, resilience is our ability to endure stress. It's whether it's acute, such as a momentary act of violence or the trauma of a car accident or the trauma of witnessing a person be injured horrifically or killed, or something that is sustained, whether it's abuse, whether it is psychological trauma from, the, from a, a family member or a relationship or something of the sort. The ability for us to absorb that energy um, and I'm talking about physical energy here, not not the, the kind of spiritual energy. But our ability to absorb that energy, deform as people, and then bounce back to our, quote, original shape. We can develop that. We can develop that resilience in many ways. But before I talk about that, understand that that resiliency, that well of fortitude, built on resiliency, is what Grossman is talking about here. So let me read the quote one more time for you. And then, we'll go into a, a few of the details about the importance of resiliency, how do we dig that well, etc. So here's the quote one more time. Quote, One key characteristic of a great military leader is an ability to draw from the tremendous depths of fortitude within his own well. And in doing so, he is fortifying his own men by permitting them to draw from his well. Many writers have recorded this process as being at work in the combat situations they observed. Lord Moran noted that, quote, A few men had the stuff of leadership in them. They were like rafts to which all the rest of humanity clung for support and hope. End quote. Victory and success in battle also replenish individual and collective wells. End quote. Now, it's important to note that while Grossman is referring to military leaders and combat stress here, and I am a Marine officer, not all of you listeners are militarily associated. But this quote is not the... Exclusive is not of exclusive value or applicability only to military leaders or only to combat, right? Life is hard. We've talked about that before as well. We all lead others in our own way, whether that's family or work or our community, and we all have our own stresses. Again, probably induced by those same groups, family, work, or our community. Therefore, even if we are not all military leaders and we're not all ever- going to experience combat we all need our own wells you could make an argument that a military leader in a combat situation needs a deeper well than a person uh, your, your standard issue person on the street but that doesn't mean that that person on the street doesn't need a well at all we all need to have that well of fortitude we all need to be resilient and we all need to have that well not just for ourselves but for others as well the star of one of the previous episodes that I did, B.P. McCoy, talks about this in The Passion of Command. He also recognizes that a well of fortitude is an important thing for a combat leader to have. John Keegan, famed historian and author, references a form of this in his book The Mask of Command. And those are all military personnel, but author Lucy Hone addresses it in her TED Talk where she talks about the the three secrets of resilient people. And so it's always interesting to see across a broad spectrum of experiences and readings, be they combat veterans like Grossman and McCoy, or authors like Keegan and Hone, that this is a universally recognized need that we have as people, the ability to have a well, a reserve of capacity to deal what life throws at us. And a well really is a perfect analog for what we're talking about here. We all learned in middle school, high school, wherever you learned it, how to calculate the volume of a cylinder. We all know that a well is a hole in the ground. It has a bottom. It has a certain diameter. And it goes down a certain depth. Right? And so, therefore, that's how we calculate how much water a well can hold. We know that it is the area of the well bore itself multiplied by the depth of the well, or how large the hole is multiplied by the depth of the well. So, if you want to increase the capacity of that well, there are a couple ways to do that. It's some combination of either making the well itself larger or deeper. Either one of those two things, or those two things in combination, will add increased volume or capacity, or in this case, when I refer to people, more resilience. To that, well. So, how do we do that? Well, there are many ways to do that, but they all boil down more or less to accepting or creating the circumstances by which we can receive and deal with small dose difficulties. Those small dose difficulties are deliberately chosen to test us, again, to deform us slightly from ourselves, to put a stress on us. And then force us to recover. Now much like a, an immunization or a vaccination, being exposed to a small amount of a certain virus or bug or what have you can strengthen your body's immune system. You don't get the full-blown illness. You get a tiny little part of it. Your body learns to recognize it and it develops the capability to deal with that in the future. It is why, as I've talked about before, when I w- first went out on a ship as part of my education process... One of the professors said to us before we left, the best thing that can happen to you is to get into the worst storm of your life as soon as possible after you leave the dock. Because once you've been through that, everything else that's less than that is easy. And that has proven true time and time again. It's where we get the old adage, he is best who is trained in the hardest school. Well, and and the more you sweat in training, the less you bleed in war. Those types of comments are all speaking to the phenomenon that is our ability to deal with things when we have been trained to do so. It's why visualization is a tool that many athletes use to achieve greater success. If they've seen themselves hitting that perfect shot down the line on a tennis court or hitting that three-point jump shot at the buzzer to win the game in basketball or what have you. If they've visualized that before, then when the moment comes, they've already been there. They've been there in their mind. They've been there in training. They're ready for that situation. So in much the same way, we can train ourselves to be more resilient by putting ourselves in situations where our resiliency is tested in a controlled environment. Well, how do we do that? For this, I go back to Colonel McCoy again, because he gave a number of great examples. He said when he was developing himself in preparation to deploy to combat and to lead Marines in combat, he talked about marathon running and... Sleep deprivation, mild sleep deprivation, you know, deliberately staying up later or going to bed um, a little too late, getting up a little bit too early, or in training, forcing yourself to work in, at night when normally you would be sleeping and be tired on purpose. You develop little bits of resiliency there. And by deforming himself in those controlled environments, he grew his reserves, knowing that in combat or taken out of the military experience, When stress came, he would have a well from which to draw. And more importantly, the people around him who he was the leader of would have a well from which to draw as well. So here's the magic. Those reserves are not just yours once you dig your well. Once you get in there and dig the bottom of your well out, they're not just yours. They're there for those that you lead. In whatever walk of life that is, if you are a resilient mother or father, when your children struggle, they will be able to reach for your well. They will be able to draw from your well. When the world gets to be too hard for them, when their wells prove to be insufficient, if your well is sufficient, they can draw from that. When your co-workers are under the gun and the schedule is crashing down around them, if you have spent the time and developed and dug out the bottom of your well you have deep reserves your co-workers will be able to go to you in those times because they know you've got something more. When they have nothing left, you have something more. And each of those deliberately induced stressors is a scoop out of the bottom of your well. It's the equivalent of jumping in that hole, standing at the bottom, and digging out the bottom. It's not easy work. It's hard. And this systematic deepening which over time yields more depth and therefore more volume and therefore more reserve capacity or resiliency in you is what will show dividends when the stress is really on. Combat stress or otherwise. And here's the fact. The the very fact is that a well, your well, will not deepen itself. Wells do not dig themselves out. You must dig it. Only you can do it. And as usual, listener, I'm speaking not just to you, but to myself as well. We are the only ones that can deepen our own wells. And we can choose to have our wells deepened for us when we're put in a traumatic situation. We can cross our fingers and hope we come out the other side, and that our well will be deepened as a result. Or, as JFK once said, the time to fix a leaky roof is when the sun is shining. While the sun is shining... Should we not get out there and dig our own well systematically so that when the stress arrives, we are already ready? There is no finger crossing because we know that we are capable. So as we close today, I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Our challenge is, how do we dig our well? What are we doing to dig our well? Again, small bites, small scoops. These don't have to be big bucketfuls out of the bottom of the well at any given time. But what they do need to be is small scoops, small shovelfuls, small spoonfuls, if you must. Over time, we'll dig the bottom of your well out. That systematic work will prove that you have more in reserve than you thought you did. And will prove to be valuable, again, not just for you, but for those around you in times of trouble. So get out there and dig your well. Until next time, I'm Matthew Munro, this is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod, send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com, find me on Instagram at quotationspod, or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.